Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Amen. I'd like to welcome everyone this morning and especially our guests today. If you're a guest with us, we are so glad to have you in service with us today. Thank you for being here. And uh, if it's your first or your second time with us, we invite you to stop by our hospitality area in the back of the sanctuary. And we have a small token of appreciation we'd like to give you this morning for being with us in service. If you're joining us online somewhere today, we welcome you as a part of this service this morning as well. Praise God. Before I uh, get into the word of the Lord this morning, I just want to uh, mention, um, I know it appears to be kind of uh, sudden for those of you that are faithful members, uh, but uh, Brother and Sister Bailey are making a Sunday morning ministry change, and um, Brother Bailey, as many of you know, is a licensed minister, and so... uh, under the direction of Bishop and the Executive Council, feel like that his ministry is needed, and uh, obviously they're a team, so on Sunday mornings they are going to be relocating, and uh, we will obviously miss them, we will miss Sister Bailey's uh, participation in our worship on Sunday morning, but I think we also have a great group of folks here that have already been a part and uh, demonstrated by this morning and last Sunday morning. Again, we will definitely miss her involvement, but God has blessed us with some anointed, talented people. So uh, they'll continue to be a part of Antioch Central. They're not uh, transferring congregations, just Sunday morning ministry. So praise God. What a wonderful presence of the Lord in this place and in some ways you know there, there are sometimes uh, if you're a guest this morning I'm not sure what you're familiar with with church um, but here the ministry here we, we do not just um, brainstorm what the sermon the message is going to be be honest, there are some time, I was in a discussion the other day with a, uh, a, a, an acquaintance, a friend of mine, not a church member, and he was asking me about my message preparation. Uh, to be honest, I felt a little bit guilty because um, I, I don't have like hours a week that I set aside to do it. Uh, many people, including Pentecostal preachers, basically write out their messages. You're welcome to see my notes after service. It's basically a bunch of verses that I will use because I don't have the greatest of memories. So I need to at least remember the location. Um, And so saying that, there are some times they seem to be more few (laughs) where you come into a service and the way, and I, I don't tell, I do sometimes request a special song or a song, but most of the time I have no involvement in what is sung in a service. I leave that up to the capable folks leading worship to pick. And and every now and then they start singing and it's like, yes, this is confirmation of what I felt. Probably what happens for me more often than not is it's like, oh no, they're going this way and I'm going to go that way. But I've learned through the years to make peace with that, and I've learned a little bit more about God. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to seem perhaps a little bit like a change of direction, because there is such a sweet presence of the Lord in this place. But in fact, I, I actually also feel like this really fits, because as you'll hear in a few moments, sometimes we get in moments like this, and we have a bit of a take-it-or-leave-it attitude. And while God is a God of grace and mercy, He also is a God that can reach a point to say, enough is enough. So I, I believe I have a message from the Lord this morning, and I don't believe that God is finished in this service. 
you would go to Genesis chapter 19, I'm going to be re- begin reading with verse number 1, and I'm going to read a little more verses than normal this morning as you, uh, those of you that are standing, continue in honor of the Word of God. So if you'll bear with me as I do that, I'll make a bargain with you. When I get done reading, you sit down, I'll keep standing. How's that? Sounds that a deal? Genesis 19 and verse number 1, there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet. Ye shall rise up early and go on your way. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house. And he made them a feast and did break unleavened bread. And they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now let me just help some of you that may not be real familiar with biblical terminology. That word know there does not mean that we can meet them. We want to meet them, get acquainted. That word know, the Hebrew word there, is in a sexual context. Can I tell you something? I know we're all troubled about the world we're living in today. But there's nothing new. Because, and listen to what Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after them. And I, I don't understand what kind of father this is, but here's what Lot did. Lot said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold now, I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you and do you to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of, the, of, of my roof. Uh, I'll let you do whatever you want to do with my daughters, but leave these men alone. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Do do, do you get how despicable of a time it was? They came demanding the men... And when Lot offers him his virgin daughters, they say, we don't want your daughters. This is not where I'm going, so you can relax for a moment. I'm just pointing out to you, we, we need to realize we're, you know what, we're not facing anything so new that God can't handle it. Go read about some of the culture during the time the epistles were written. Read about some of the stuff Paul was addressing that was going on in the church. That if it happened in this church today or any church today and it was known, it'd be on the news media. And they smote the men. Verse 10. But the men, the men they wanted, the men that had come to Lot, put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. And they, these men, smote the men outside with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou any besides, son-in-law, and thy sons and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in this city, bring them of this place. For we will destroy this place because the city of because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it 
Lot went out and spoke unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. And when the morning arose, they, the, then the angels hastened Lot. These two men that had come to Lot, now it tells us clearly these two men were angels sent from God. The angels... Thank you. Then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are, the, are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. I, I want you to want you to you get what's going on. He's got these two men that have come to him. They've now revealed their angels. I mean, they've got this crowd banging on the door. Wanting these two men. These two men smote the men outside with blindness. Surely Lot had to go, uh-oh, this is not... You guys aren't normal average guys. Something special is going on here. They then instruct him what's going to happen. The danger that's about to take place. And I want you to notice what verse 16 says. And while he lingered. While he lingered, there is a serious situation going on. The angels have now said, you got to get out of the city because it's about to be destroyed. And Lot's reply was, he lingered. The men laid hold upon his hand and upon the hand of his wife and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. The living Bible says, beginning of verse 16 this way, when Lot hesitated. I want to preach to you for a few minutes this morning the danger of a pause. The danger of a pause. Father, I thank you for your presence that we feel in this place today. God, I believe that you have already been touching hearts and lives today. I believe your spirit has already been ministering in this sanctuary this morning. But I also believe that you are not done what you desire to do here today. And so, Father, I pray that now through your word, your spirit would speak today. God, I do not want to simply preach a sermon this morning because it's an expected part of a church service, but I want to be a messenger through which you can say what you desire to say. I pray, God, that there would be anointing not only upon me to speak your word, but I pray there would be an anointing today upon the hearer to hear and receive. I trust you and depend on you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Again, I know we've just read it, but permit me for a moment to sort of hit the high points again. Maybe even give a little bit more background for some that perhaps are not totally familiar with the story. Sodom and Gomorrah, two cities in the Bible, had become extremely wicked. Great sinfulness, as is demonstrated just by the verses that we have read here this morning. And God finally decides that He's done with it. This story really starts a little bit earlier in Genesis, where God has a conversation with Abraham, because Lot whose family was living connected to Sodom, they weren't living in Sodom. Their, their residence wasn't in Sodom, but their attention was focused on Sodom. And so God informs Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. And Abraham responds to God and says, God, would you? be willing to spare the city of Sodom and Gomorrah if 
There are 50 righteous people living in the city. And God answers Abraham and says, If you can find 50 righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, I will not judge it. I will spare it. Abraham, having an idea of the degree of sin in Sodom and Gomorrah, comes back to God and begins to negotiate with God. If, if I can find 40, if I can find 30, for some reason, Abraham gets to the number 10 and asks God, if I can find 10 righteous people in the city, will you spare the city? And God responds and says, If you can find ten righteous, I will spare the city. For some reason, that's where Abraham stopped. I don't quite understand that. It would kind of seem to me, you would look at, we started at 50, we're down to 10. Why not push it a little bit farther? God, if there's five righteous, would you spare the city? Or perhaps even going so far as to say, if I can find one righteous man, would you spare the city? The Bible says in the book of Ezekiel, the Lord says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It is a human reaction to see someone who has done something despicable that ends up Paying a price. And our response often is they got what they deserve. They got what they had coming. But God does not look down on sinners when tragedy strikes their life and wag his head at them and say, you got what you had coming. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And in fact, we celebrate this week the fact that he came and he died so that sinners could be saved. Lot or Abraham stopped at five or at ten, and obviously the story demonstrates there were not ten righteous in the city because you read the rest of the story and God destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. However, and there is also here a message of hope because while we live in a sinful world. Not one amen. Oh. As Brother Godwin would say, don't get quiet and make me stay longer on a We live in a sinful world. That's not a judgmental statement, that's a factual statement. We live in a sinful world. It was said of the day of Noah that every thought in man's imagination was to do evil. I got to tell you, when I think about the culture and technology or the lack of technology and what they had in the world at the time of Noah, it, it boggles my mind. What do you imagine? I get it in 2017 where we are bombarded on every side by media and by what is going on. I understand the imagination today being all evil, but the Bible says even in the days of Noah. And judgment will come. Judgment will come. Preacher, how can you say he's a God of love and then allow judgment to come? The same way I tell my kids I love them, but if they don't obey me, I discipline them. It'd be unfair if I disciplined them without explanation or warning. I, I, I know, you know, everybody's got their own opinions and, and, and most of it is just that, opinions. I, I know of some, I, I don't think we ever did it quite this way every time, but I know of parents that with their kids will tell their child what to do and then they'll start counting one Two, three, and the idea is by the time you get to three, that's it. If you haven't changed, that's done. And then other parents will say, count to three. Are you kidding? I'm going to say it one time. If they don't do it, that's it. Okay, have at it. Have it your way. The bottom line is 
I, I, I never, I, I believed in spanking. I believed in doing it in a orderly, calm, non-abusive way. But I never just walked through the house and grabbed one of my kids and just yanked them up and took them to the bathroom and got the, the paint stick from Home Depot and started spanking them. Usually there was a warning or two that preceded the discipline. From Genesis to Revelation, you want to find out how loving God is? Look at all the times and the ways in which God pleaded with humanity before he was ultimately pushed to judgment. And so God sends a way of escape, and so it is with us today. Judgment will come to this world, but for those that are willing to listen and respond, there is a way of escape. I, I read this the other day, and, 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 and let me read it again real quick. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, author, preacher, said in a book written in the 70s, I believe, let me state it quite categorically. The Christian faith is frankly and openly otherworldly. I state the matter boldly because I know that this principle is not popular today when the emphasis is on the here and now. This accounts for the present apostasy in the church as well as for the so-called social gospel that was preached so much in the early part of this century and towards the end of the last century. I, I read this a couple of weeks ago, and when I read it, it just kind of boggled my mind. Wait a minute. In the 70s, this guy was saying that in the early 1900s, this idea of the social gospel, and it'll explain in a little bit what is more what is meant by that. He said at the end of the last century, the 1900s, and towards the end of the century before that, the 1800s, the teaching was that Christianity is something that puts social conditions right and deals with political problems in the here and now. The modern man, we were told, is not interested in an otherworldly view, but whether we like it or not, the fact is that the blessings we enjoy in Christ are in heavenly places. We have not been called as the church to change the world. There is no place in this book that gives us instruction to change the world. The church is those who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. J Jesus said in the book of John, he said, I, I, I pray, Father, I don't want you to take them out of the world. But I'm asking you to preserve them while they're in the world. And there is so much of Christianity that has become about this life. God, what are you going to do for me now? The important thing is not what God's going to do for you now. The important thing is that you come to a place of faith that there's something that happens after death. And what takes place here is really insignificant compared to what takes place after death. Because everything in this life is temporary. Everything in this life is temporary. Forgive me for my, my, uh, bemoaning or whatever the proper word is for a moment. I, I, uh, my wife and I celebrate 25 years of marriage next month and, uh, we're gonna take a, a, a trip to California, anniversary trip. She's never been there and, and so we're gonna go out there, spend a couple of days for our anniversary and, and I was, uh, we've got some family out there. My dad's brother and his sister live out there and I reached out to them last night to see if we could try to meet them for dinner and I and, and my my message to them I said you know Angie and I are going to be in California celebrating our 25th anniversary and I inserted I does that seem as odd to you as it does to me 
I know many of you have been there, but honestly, it it doesn't compute in my mind. 25 years, that's my parents. My wife and I put on a 25th anniversary party for my parents. Like not, not, we we did that for old people. (laughs) I'm I'm not old. The wise man said life. It's but a vapor. It's a vapor. I was talking to somebody the other day. They're 25 years old. And we were joking about 30. And I went, oh, I'm only 25. I said, don't blink. Don't blink. It seems like yesterday I was hitting the milestone of 40. And now I'm past halfway to 50. That does not compute. But this is temporal. It's temporary. It doesn't last. This is not what it's all about. There are thousands, actually probably millions of dollars. Oh, help me this morning, Jesus. There's millions of dollars spent in advertising and then people spend accumulative millions of dollars planning for retirement that's going to last a couple of years. Oh, forgive me. I'm not trying to be mean. I am trying by the help of the Lord to stir somebody. And then you want to give an hour a week for an eternity? You're going to go to your financial advisor and make sure that you've got everything in order to spend for retirement so that you can live in retirement with no guarantee. I'm telling, this thing is messed up. This thing is so messed up. When I, when we have the health and the strength to enjoy life, most of us don't have the money to enjoy it. I mean, when I've got the energy and the, and, 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 and no pain in my body and I'm feeling good, man, we're just, we just, we gotta get more diapers. We gotta get more stuff for the kids. We can't go do what we wanna do. And then by the time you get old and you've got the money, you don't have the energy. And you plan and you prepare and you invest in something that first of all, you have no guarantee you're even going to get there. And then people get mad and walk away from God because He doesn't fix my problems now and change my world now. There is a promise that Jesus made. Oh, help me, Jesus. Oh, I know we like the promises of prosperity and all of that stuff, but there's also some other promises. He said, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have troubles and trials and difficulties. And so Christianity is not an escape from the problems and the troubles of the world. If we had time this morning, I could let some people get up and hold this microphone that are dedicated, committed believers that you would be so in amazement, shocked and, and, and whatever else by what they're going through right now. Because this is not an escape not a guarantee. Christianity is not the lottery that changes my circumstances. In the church, it was said by the author I just read, Martin Lloyd Martin Jones, in the the 70s. Listen. Listen to what so much of the church world is concerned about today. Social things and politics. And that's not what it's all about. And so Lot gets a warning. Lot has an opportunity to escape. But the Bible says he, he lingered. He, that word linger in the Hebrew means to question or hesitate, to be reluctant. Are you kidding me, Lot? You have just had a demonstration that these two guys are not just any ordinary men. By by causing blindness on those outside the door, beating down at the door, you've just witnessed something supernatural. And now they're telling you, you've got to get your family and get out. And the Bible says he, he lingered. 
He paused. He did not take advantage immediately of the opportunity that was given him. Pulpit commentary says Lot's irresolution would have been his ruin but for his attendant. His heart manifestly clung to the earthly possessions he was leaving. He was torn between a message of judgment and an opportunity to escape and what he was connected to and involved in. See, the problem is Lot had something you and I don't usually have. And that's an angel to yank you by the hand and force the matter. It was a a principle of our parenting when our kids were young and toddlers especially moving into those five and six year old range that we wanted them to learn instant obedience. We wanted them to learn to obey without explanation. Because of the fact there may come a time in which there is a dangerous situation. And I need you to learn how that when I speak a word of direction, you respond without having to be told why. Because you might be in a threatening situation. There, there may be a situation where, where you see a, a, a somebody that just doesn't look quite right and you, you just sense, especially you moms that have that sixth sense. You just recognize something's not right and, and you need to be able to simply say to your child, come here and them come. And there's also those times you may say it, but other times you just reach and yank them because you recognize they're stepping into a road where traffic is coming and, and, the, and the circumstances are very dangerous and so you just pull back. You see, there's some things in which I can pause that I probably won't lose anything. I'm standing in the candy aisle at 7-Eleven and I pause. If I linger in indecision, I'm not really going to cost me anything. There's, there's times that the danger of pausing may not be too much. If you see that opening in the lane, you know you've got a split second to make a move because it might close up and they're going to defenders are going to recover and you can't you you've got a moment to make a decision lot did not recognize the significance of the moment and when faced with a decision he he lingered And had it not been for an angel to grab him by the arm and yank him to safety, he would have experienced the destruction. He would have become a part of the judgment. I say again to you today, The problem for you and I is there's usually not an angel, Brother Lewis, that's going to yank our arms. Because what we are supposed to do is read what took place in this book. And when we read what happened in this book, I am supposed to learn from it. I I don't need you to tell me an iron is hot, don't touch it, and I'm going to find out for myself. First of all, I've gotten close enough at times to feel the heat, but I've, I've also seen a few folks that got burned by it. And I take their word. Genesis to Revelation is more than enough evidence
Bible tells the story of the man by the name of Lazarus who sat outside the gate of a rich man. The Bible says the rich man would not even give Lazarus the crumbs that fell from his table. Lazarus and the rich man both die. Lazarus is taken to paradise and the rich man goes to hell. The Bible says the rich man seeing Father Abraham says, Would you please send Lazarus? I need somebody, send somebody from the dead to go back to my family and warn them of what's to come. And Abraham and Abraham responded and said, they have the prophets. They've already got what they need. Oh boy, it's getting a little tight in here today. Somebody going back from the dead is not going to do anything more. They already have what they need. And you, you and I may argue, you know what? If somebody showed up at my house that I knew had been dead and sent me a message, I guarantee you I would change. Yes, you would for a season. But in 45 years of being in the church and in 20 plus years of ministry and 10 plus years of pastoring, I have watched time and time again as people have had traumatic experiences. I've had fathers look me in the eye after children had come near death. I don't mean figuratively. I mean taken to the hospital, emergency situation, and tell me, look me straight in the eye, brother. I, I, I'm changing now. I'm changed. I'm ready now. I'm going to do what God wants. And I watch for a couple of weeks as that begins to wear off because the freshness of the experience is gone. So I think that's part of what Abraham was saying. It doesn't matter if somebody goes from the dead. If they won't believe what the Word says, they're not going to be persuaded by some dramatic experience. Psalmist in Psalm 119 and verse number 60 gives a very different response. He says, I made haste and delayed not to keep your commandments. I didn't waste any time. I didn't linger. I didn't pause and try to figure out uh, what am I going to do? Am I going to respond? The psalmist said, I made haste. I, I, I rushed to doing your commandments. I rushed to what you wanted. Unlike Lot, who faced was faced with rather extreme circumstances compared to most who paused, who delayed, who could not make up his mind. I, 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 I made some of the comments I did before I preached because I feel like this is, this is the way that, that our worship this morning and this message ties together. Presented to everyone in this place this morning was an opportunity. Presented to every individual in this place this morning was an opportunity to connect with the Creator, to connect with God. And so many of us, so many of us just decide that it's a take it or leave it opportunity. And we linger and we pause. We can't make up our minds and the problem I've come to tell you today and challenge you by the help of the Lord is not every one of us gets the same opportunity Lot has where there's somebody that gives a warning and then just yanks us out of the way of danger. Most of us get a ranting, raving preacher. We get a Bible study. We get a testimony. We get a witness. And then we pause. And in the process of pausing, if we're not careful, we miss the opportunity. Luke 17 and verse 26. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day, 
that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Do you understand what it's saying? What, 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 what the Lord is communicating here is life seemed good. Everything was going well. Everything was going the way you wanted. They were celebrating. They were partying. They were giving. They were getting married. Life was going good. Likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat. They drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They built it. But the same day, It wasn't an economic crash. I I have to tell you, I wrestle. There are some that have spent years, literally years and years, as this being their focus. I I wrestle with the fact that in in these last days, there is going to be this, this absolute horrible calamity in the world. I I, I wrestle with whether or not everything is going to fall apart and be absolutely horrible or if it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot where everything seemed okay. Stock markets going up. Problems we were worried about seemed to be settling out. Everything was good, but the Bible says the same day. That Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Probably at the very least, the parents here today can relate of whether it's leaving, go on a trip, or just leaving to go somewhere for an evening engagement, getting partway down the road and somebody says, I left such and such. I, I forgot my shoes. I, I forgot this. I forgot that. And there have been a time or two in my years of parenting that I have very begrudgingly a mile or two down the road. Sometimes I very begrudgingly at the end of the driveway because we have now started our trip. We cannot go back. But we have the opportunity. It's an inconvenience. It's a frustration. But we can go back. I've got some priceless treasures in my house, things that are very dear. to I've got boxes of stuff from when I was a kid. God bless you folks that just throw stuff away. I wish I could be like you. I got stuff in boxes that hadn't been opened in years that I probably never will open, but do not dare throw it away. That if my house was on fire, I would be torn with the desire to go back and get some things. However, if I recognize the danger of the situation, I would leave it all behind as long as I knew that it wasn't my wife or my kids. I don't have time to go back. I can just let it all go. And he says, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, likewise, not return back. That when you are presented with that moment, you don't have time to go back and gather and get things that you want. You've got an opportunity to step into. And if you pause... Oh, Jesus. I know. Go, go, go search all the messages that are preached in churches today and you probably will find not many on this topic. Because we've gotten so caught up in just trying to make everybody feel better. Make this life better. This life easier. Second Peter chapter 3 and verse number 8. But beloved, 
be not ignorant of this one thing. That one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. But is long-suffering to us, to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I, I, if you're a guest today, I, I was born and raised in this church. My parents came to Annapolis in 1970 to start this church. I've been, I've been born and raised as a Pentecostal apostolic. I've got a, I've got a grandmother here today. My other grandparents were all apostolic. I've got great grandparents that were apostolic. And when I was a kid, I heard about the coming of the Lord that I honestly, this is not, this is not dramatic. This is is not whatever this, I'm not trying to just to, to just be uh, whatever I'm trying to be. I honestly, I know there's a couple other here, a couple other folks in here that can say an amen because you had the same experience. I honestly never expected to even graduate from high school. I definitely never thought I would ever see marriage and children because I was heard it preached that Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming. Here I am as a 45 year old having graduated from high school. Got married. Now have four kids. Things that I honestly before God never thought I would experience have happened. Some of you have heard about the coming of the Lord and some of you like me have heard about it for years and decades and it hasn't happened and the human response is to doubt and to become skeptical of it. But Peter said the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some meant count slackness. But his long suffering to us were, here's why there's a delay. Here's why what I expected to happen when I was a teenager has not happened. Not because it's not going to happen. Not because the word of God is not true. But he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is giving an opportunity. He is giving time for somebody not to pause. For somebody to be given the invitation and something rise up inside of them and say, I will not lay, I will not linger as the prophet Elijah said. How long do you halt between two opinions? If God is God is, then serve Him. If Baal is God, then serve Him. But make up your mind. But the law, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. The Bible says we don't know the day, we don't know the hour. That trumpet's going to sound. Second. That's the first Thessalonians verse four. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then, then, meaning right after this, we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Trumpet's going to sound, and in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the dead are going to be ready. Preacher, that sounds crazy. Yeah, it really does. I, I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor, and it's crazy to me. And how do you believe it? I believe it because I see evidence of other crazy things God said that happened. And I have an advantage and a disadvantage that they didn't have because Lot didn't have a Sodom and Gomorrah to look to. Lot could not read a Bible and see where judgment came to a city suddenly. But you and I can see that. Noah didn't have a Noah to read about, about destruction and judgment. But you and I can read about it. 
And so while they had a warning, they had no evidence like you and I have to decide, you know what, that day is coming. Jesus told the story of of ten virgins. The Bible says that five were wise and five were foolish. And they, they all went to bed. And the Bible says the bridegroom came to waken them out of their sleep. And when the bridegroom came and woke them out of their sleep, there was a distinction. The group was divided into two groups of five because five of them had prepared. Five of them had expectation on what was coming. And so the Bible says they filled their lamps with oil so that they would be prepared. But the other five had just casually brushed off what was going to happen. And so when the bridegroom came, they had no oil in their lamps. And they begin to beg the other five that have oil, give us, give us some of your oil. And they refused. Notice by the typology, I think we could say they were all ten in the church. They were all ten in the church. But amongst the ten in the church, only five had taken the necessary steps to be prepared. The other five just sloughed it off. We, we, we don't really have to worry, but we, we can pause. We can linger and we'll have time to do what we need to do. But the bridegroom came unexpectedly. And when the bridegroom came, there was no time to now do what needed to be done. Come today, if you're a guest today, I I do not apologize for the content of the message because I don't believe I've said anything that is out of Scripture. If it's your first time in an apostolic church, I, 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 I know I probably have added to the experience in a positive or a negative way. But I don't apologize for the content, but what I, I, I hope at least you will listen to what the Spirit of God might be saying to you today. You got to move, Lot. You got to move. I I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm willing to move. I'm not sure I'm willing to let go. I'm not sure I'm willing to embrace what you're saying. I'm, I'm just uncertain. And the Bible says those men grabbed him. I wish, oh, I wish. As a pastor, I can't tell you how much I wish that God would send to every one of us an angel like he sent to Lot that would grab us and really not even leave the choice up to us. But knowing what's for our own good force us to respond. I can tell you he's probably not going to do that here today. There's no angel that's going to walk down your aisle this morning and grab you by the arm and force you to make a response to God today. Not going to happen. But all morning long, there has been an invitation. All morning long, there's been a draw. And yet, in the midst of that, there are people that have hesitated. You've paused. You've lingered. You've been torn between, do I answer? Do I respond? Or do I just let it go for now because surely there'll be another chance. 
Somebody hear me right now, please. While God is a God of grace and mercy and a God of forgiveness, it is possible to reach a point where you decide, I'm now ready. But then God says, sorry, you've missed your opportunity. Bible says it of Esau very clearly in the book of Hebrews. He finally decided, I, I am now ready. I'm ready to not pause. I'm ready to respond. I'm ready to accept the invitation. The Bible says he sought for it, but he couldn't find it. You would bow your heads and close your eyes, please, if nothing else, out of respect for those that may be around you. Perhaps it's a guest or perhaps it's somebody that you come faithfully. You come all the time. I believe for somebody today and perhaps more than just one person, but even if it's just one person this morning, there is an opportunity being offered. Will you pause? Will you linger in a place of indecision, uncertain if you're going to accept the opportunity or if you're going to gamble that there'll be another opportunity? As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I open this altar right now to somebody that would be willing to admit, to acknowledge God speaking to me today. And I don't want to pause. I don't want to linger. I don't want to take the risk that that opportunity will continue or that there will be another opportunity. But if I'm given the invitation, like the psalmist said, I want to make haste. I want to quickly respond. I want there to be instant obedience, instant response response to the invitation to the call to the pull in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus God I pray that you would help us today Lord you said in your word you understood the weakness of our flesh you know our makeup God you understand our humanity you understand the struggle the resistance that we face that we often feel but I pray God today that by your grace and your mercy you would help us to not miss the opportunity of the invitation that is given to us today in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus Help us today. Church, would you help me? Would you be responsive to the Spirit of the Lord? If you're not praying for yourself right now, would you be responsive to the leading of the Spirit of the Lord right now? God, I don't want to be like Lot. I don't want to be like Lot when given the opportunity. I pause, I delay, I hesitate, I question. I wrestle between what I'm going to do. But I want to learn to just be immediately responsive to the opportunity, to the instruction, to the chance that you're giving me. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. God, your grace and your mercy is in this place today. Your love and your compassion. You said it, you're not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. God, help us to be responsive to that opportunity today. Help us to be responsive to that opportunity today. 
the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. 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 Hallelujah. Every breath, every moment. Have your way, Jesus. Have your way in me, Jesus. Have your way in me, Jesus. Oh, I give you my soul. I live for you alone. I live for you alone. I live for you alone. Oh, every moment, Lord, have your way in me. Have your way in me, have your way in me, Lord. Oh, I give you all of me, Jesus. Not reluctantly, not hesitantly, I give you all of me freely. You've given your all to me. So the least that I can do is give my all back to you. Hastily responding to the opportunity, to the invitation. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Oh, every breath that I take, every moment I'm away, Lord, have your way in me. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. If you're not praying, if you don't feel the need to pray, would you be willing perhaps right where you are to stand and just lift your hands? And sing this course as your prayer today. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. All of me, Jesus. All of me, Jesus. I don't want to just give you a portion of me. I don't want to just give you a select part of me. But I give you my all. I give you my all. Give you my all. I give you my heart. I give my soul. I live for you, Lord. I live for you. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Oh, have your way in me, Lord. I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake. Oh, have your way in me. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. Yeah. 
give you my soul. I bless you but please be mindful respectful of those around you that are still praying Have your way long. 